0: Little YO Pod, the All Things Yosemite Podcast. I'm Laura Jackson, and on today's episode, this is part three of our suite on the Iwani Hotel, the luxury hotel located in Yosemite Valley in the heart of Yosemite National Park. Today, we're going to be talking about the interior of the Iwani, one of my favorite subjects, and really the thing many people fall in love with on their first visit to the historic building. I have always loved the interior of the Iwani Hotel, and for good reason. It is a careful curation of artistic styles inspired from all over the world. Like the architecture, the interior design borrowed from the arts and crafts movement, but where the architecture played with sharp lines and angles and hard edges, the interior decor softened those edges with plush furniture, warm lighting, and vibrant colors. The interior designers were a husband and wife team named Pope and Ackerman, and they were well-known experts in Middle Eastern arts and crafts. The designers famously did not get along with the architect, Gilbert Stanley Underwood. It seemed like no one really did get along with him, actually. And his recommendation for the interior design was to follow a hunting lodge theme. He suggested they procure black leather sofas for the sitting areas and adorn the walls of the Iwani with bison heads. But there were a couple of problems with that idea. For one thing, there is no hunting in Yosemite National Park. For another thing, there are no bison in Yosemite National Park. <laughs> Fortunately, Pope and Ackerman had a different idea. They decided to go with a Native American theme for the interior of the Owani, which seemed fitting as Owani was the Miwok word for Yosemite Valley. Now, as magnificent as the interior is, there is a lot of controversy around it also. So stick around because we will be talking about that a little bit later on. But for now, I want to take you into the building. Imagine now that you are arriving at the Iwani for the first time. You pass the friendly valet attendants. You walk the red carpet. You approach the double doors. They swing open and you enter the registration lobby. This is a busy place and is home to the registration desk uh, where you check in the Iwani bar, the concierge and the sweet shop. It's easy to get overwhelmed right away with everyone moving around in this space that you may miss one of the most significant aspects of this room. Just below your feet sit six original circular mosaics, each one different, each one brightly colored with geometric shapes and patterns and elaborate colorful borders and your first real introduction to the uh, interior theme. The mosaics were designed by an architect named William Temple Howard, who used a material described as rubber tile, a new material at the time comprised of cork, clay, sawdust, and linseed oil, formed under extreme heat and compression incredibly the tile is still in great shape maintaining its luster and vibrancy even at almost 100 years old the beautiful mosaics are bursting with colors blue yellow red and green and they were inspired by the shapes and patterns found in the baskets of indian tribes of california in fact while much of the interior was inspired by different cultures from nearly every continent all of the original art in the building was meant to mimic native american basketry Which brings us to the stencils. Now, I didn't notice the stencils on my first visit to the Iwani, but I think that really speaks to the harmony of the interior. Everything is so well integrated, it's really easy to miss the details. The stencil work bordering the ceiling and the registration, elevator lobby, great lounge, and every room in the Iwani were designed and mostly painted by the artist Jeanette Dyer-Spencer. And they're also based on the designs of Native American basketry. Spencer created about 100 different stencil patterns for the Owani, including unique designs for every guest room in the hotel. Now, while we are still in the registration area, we also notice the sweet shop, where you will find a small selection of necessities, a newspaper stand, uh, snacks, drinks, and a tempting display case full of handmade truffles. Now, the sweet shop was originally a soda shop, double its current size when the hotel opened. The Iwani opened during Prohibition, so fresh soda was quite the draw during that time instead of alcohol. Evidence of the original design is seen with the lighting fixtures inside the shop and just outside of it. While these two fixtures match each other, they are different from the rest of the lighting in the building. So the lighting um, is mostly wrought iron chandeliers found throughout the ground floor of the Awani, and they are German Gothic inspired. They are original designs, and they were made by the famous San Francisco-based Phoenix Day Lighting Company. They also did the lighting on the streets of San Francisco, the first gas lanterns. So they've been around for a while. Um, And the Chandeliers at the Owani exhibit the artisanal look of handcrafted appearance, even though they were um, made from molds. But that was that was uh, keeping with that theme of the arts and crafts movement. Things that appeared to be. Made by hand, but were actually made by machine. So continuing on, we move into a short hallway and we get our first peek of the grand dining room just down the hall, but don't get too distracted yet. Lining the walls to your left and your right are beautiful watercolor paintings of the most famous sites of Yosemite. Sequoia trees, Vernal Fall, Half Dome, Yosemite Falls depicted expertly through the very complicated use of watercolors by artist Gunnar Vidfors. These were added after the Obani opened but every piece of art in the hotel are the originals so I encourage you to take some time to really admire this work. And this brings us to the elevator lobby. I had mentioned in the last episode how Underwood used optical illusions in the hotel to make some spaces appear smaller than their dimensions. Well the elevator lobby is a prime example of this. The first thing you may notice is the fireplace especially if it's cold outside and the fire is going. It's very inviting. The fireplace is massive. I can stand up straight in it, which for those who know me is not that impressive because I am tiny. But what that means is that the fireplace is over five feet high and made up of large pieces of dark jasper, which is also uh, native to the area. Above the fireplace is a mural of swirling designs, patterns, and colors. It's just beautiful. The mural takes up the entire wall over the Jasper fireplace and was designed and painted by the stencil artist Jeanette Dyer-Spencer. Basket Swirl Mural, as it is named, mimics the familiar basket-inspired patterns seen throughout the original artwork in in the interior design as well. Now, I know everyone is getting anxious to get a look at that famous dining room, but before we leave the elevator lobby, I want to draw your attention to one more thing. The hanging rugs. The rugs became my favorite pieces in the Awani when I learned their story. So the rugs that are hanging up around the hotel have a lot of the similar colors and patterns that you see coming through in the artwork in the building, yet they are from a totally different continent altogether. I mentioned at the top of the episode that the interior designers pope and ackerman were experts in middle eastern arts so when they were considering interior decor they originally wanted to acquire handmade navajo rugs for the awani but something got in the way of that probably the cost of having them made so they went to new york city and bought a collection of hand-woven persian rugs pope and ackerman selected 59 rugs in all spending anywhere from 40 to 100 dollars per piece can you imagine <laughs> I was born in the wrong decade. Now, I'm not a wrong, um I'm not a rug expert. Uh, surprise, but I'm pretty sure that these rugs are worth quite a lot of money today, and that's why they are hanging up now instead of lining the floor of the Iwani, which is what they were originally intended for. The intention for the interior was to give one a feeling of serenity and calm, which seems kind of silly how with how bustling the hotel is today. It's very busy and very noisy, but the idea was to embody the appeal of a cozy English manor, and that's why there are so many different cultures represented throughout the building because a country home would comprise art from all over the world. It's just incredible how seamlessly it all works together. But back to the rugs originally they were placed on the floor of the public spaces to absorb the sound of footfall the whole great lounge area and elevator lobby were designed with the help of acoustics experts to minimize noise so they used plush floor coverings and soundproof plaster in the interior and yes that is a thing and they even installed a silent motor for the elevator which i'm sure had a quite a hefty price tag at the time in 1927 Now, the rugs have appreciated exponentially in value since 1927, so they no longer line the floors of the Iwani and have been placed on display. But because of the convenience of acquisition at the time, the Iwani Hotel now boasts one of the finest collections of Persian rugs in America and the only collection curated by the famed experts Pope and Ackerman. Okay, yes, yes, the elevator lobby is nice. So now on to the dining room, right? Well, not quite yet. Take a few more moments here to really get a feel for the decor. There is no space in the hotel possessing as much visual stimulation as this space, the elevator lobby. It's also one of the only spaces that does not have the added quality of natural light, unlike our next stop. Proceeding beyond the elevator lobby is the Great Lounge. The space is filled with natural light and just seems to go on forever. There are 10 massive Art Deco-inspired windows illuminating the Great Lounge from both sides of the 2 stories high room. The wood flooring creaks slightly as we make our way in, passing sofas, love seats and sleepy hollow chairs with backs tilting up toward the ceiling. The sleepy hollow chairs in particular are of interest. It seems like it would be uncomfortable to sit straight up them and that's because they were designed for reclining. So the purpose of these chairs is to draw one's attention toward the top of the room where a whole nother experience exists on its own. Above each of the windows are beautiful and intricate stained glass frames. These were also created by Jeanette Dyer-Spencer. In fact, the stained glass windows were the reason she was originally hired to work in the Iwani. Looking toward the ceiling, you see more of Spencer's works uh, spanning the length of the room on the beams and the borders in the form of stencils. But if you move to the end of the room and look behind the beam nearest the writing room, you will see half of an incredibly elaborate stencil tucked in the alcove between two beams that has been revealed. This stencil, among many others in the space, had been painted over in the 1940s, and now this little piece that's showing is the only remaining evidence of their existence. Now, you may be asking yourself, why on earth would the original artwork of the stencils be painted over? And the answer is, we don't really know. There is no documentation, as far as my research has turned up, that specifies the reason for why the stencils were painted over, but we have some theories. The first, and most probable, is that they were destroyed by the Navy. From 1943 to 1945, the Awani was closed to the public and used as a convalescent hospital for For the United States Navy during World War II. And from what I understand, they were terrible tenants. The Navy did not take care of the place and they did not seem to care much for it either. Most of the men who came to stay at the Iwani felt confined and claustrophobic. And for whatever reason, the people in charge decided to paint over a lot of the interior spaces, perhaps in an effort to make it feel more like a hospital and less like a resort. I don't know. The cost of repair to restore the Iwani after the Navy checked out was over $400,000. And most of it was carried out by Jeanette Spencer herself and her husband, Ted Spencer. So, whether the stencils were painted over before or after she worked on the restoration is unknown. If she decided to paint over them herself, it could have been because they were already so badly damaged from cigarette smoke. So, just imagine 200 servicemen chain smoking cigarettes in that room for two and a half years. There was probably a lot of damage that had to be undone from that time. Now I'd like to draw your attention to the baskets. There are several baskets secured in cases on the ground level and smaller baskets adorning the space above the fireplaces out of reach because these are some of the most expensive pieces in the building. The baskets in the cases were part of the original collection when the hotel opened and were selected by the interior designers. Now, you've heard a lot of names during these past few episodes, all of the people responsible for building the Iwani Hotel and for the interior decor, Um, Mather, Underwood, Tresseter, Pope, Ackerman, Spencer... But you may have noticed that for a hotel named after the original people of Yosemite, I have not actually mentioned any original people of Yosemite in regard to the Iwani Hotel. When the Iwani was being built, there were Miwok women making and selling baskets in Yosemite Valley, and yet none of their work was collected for the building, and none of them were consulted in the design process. The attitude toward the Indian residents of Yosemite from a management perspective was very different then. It was condescending. Miwok baskets were deemed too plain and unimaginative for the Iwanis' decor. So while the baskets collected for the hotel were procured from tribes of California, none of them were associated with the Yosemite tribes in any way. And this is the true tragedy of the hotel. The term for how the Native American community was represented in this instance is called exploitation. There is no other way of saying it, and that is why I struggled with this tour initially, and why many people struggle with their relationship with it. But don't turn on me here. Up until now, I have shared so many wonderful aspects of the building with you, and I'm not here to pull the rug out from under you. I just want you to know the whole story. However, in 2011, a new collection of baskets was curated with the help of local basket makers. The new collection have their home over the fireplaces in the Great Lounge. They do not have elaborate patterns and designs woven into them. They were crafted for utility and for a way of life. It is a small but important gesture, long overdue, but a step toward acknowledging the history of Yosemite's first people. Okay, so now let's go to the dining room. Now, I'm sure you have heard that the dining room is an amazing space, and it really is. It was originally supposed to seat 1,000 people, which would have been completely insane. So it was scaled back to seat 350. This is the single largest room in the whole building, 130 feet long by 51 feet wide and ceilings up to 34 feet tall. The second largest room in the hotel is the kitchen, which sits next to the dining room with comparable dimensions. The best way I can describe this room is like the dining hall in Harry Potter, but even prettier if you can imagine that, because the dining room at the Owani has huge floor to ceiling windows. Big windows are a big theme here, uh, making up the west and north-facing sides of the room, which allow for outstanding views of Yosemite Valley. The dining room has vaulted ceilings with wooden trusses, impressive chandeliers and sconces, and stencil detail along the border of the ceiling. This room is sparsely decorated, making it a standout from the rest of the hotel. I think because the focus of this space is directed toward the exterior, the landscape of Yosemite, and the Epicurean delights of some of the most renowned chefs in the country. To dine at the Iwani is an all-encompassing experience from the inspiring ambiance to the surrounding company. In fact, until recently, the Iwani dining room required a dress code including slacks or dresses for women and slacks and jackets for men. They've relaxed the dress code in recent years. The men don't have to wear jackets anymore, but one can still be denied admission for dressing too casually. Think hiking pants, hoodies, and flip-flops, or what many people wear to Yosemite. Honestly, I could go on forever about the interior of the Obani because there was so much that was put into it over the course of several decades and so much history and I am missing so much stuff. It seems like I discover something new every time I dig into the subject, but like my hotel tour, which notoriously went overtime every day, I have to stop myself somewhere. I wanna thank you for listening to this episode of Little Yo Pod. If you like this stuff and you have some time, it would be so helpful to the podcast if you could give us a rating. The more ratings we get, the more people find the podcast and the longer this program will continue. Also, if you wanna get involved in the process, Please consider joining the Little Yo Pod Patreon community. Memberships start at just $3 a month and include bonus material, including videos between podcast episodes where I talk about all kinds of things Yosemite and non-Yosemite related. But it's user influenced, so I really just go into anything patrons want to know more about. So check it out if you want to support us. And by us, I mean me. And to get more involved in the podcast. And I will include a link for that in the show notes. Or if you want more information, you can message me on Instagram. Twitter or Facebook, or you can send an email to littleyopod at gmail.com. This week's fun fact, the Awani has hosted many influential people over the years, including ex-presidents Dwight D. Eisenhower, John F. Kennedy, Ronald R. Reagan, I'm just kidding, I don't know what his little name is, Ronald Reagan and Barack Obama, but the most memorable guests may have been Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz when they stayed there while filming the long, long trailer in the early 1950s. As the legend goes, it was either Lucy and Desi or Lucy and Judy Garland. I've read two different accounts, but regardless, Lucy was there and she was reprimanded for having an impromptu concert on the Steinway Grand Piano in the Great Lounge at an inappropriate hour. So yes, someone had to come down and tell Lucy to quiet down and go to bed. (laughs) Poor Lucy. All she ever wanted was to be in the show. That's going to wrap it up for this episode of Little Yo Pod. I'm Laura Jackson. Thanks so much for listening and have a beautiful day.